Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be discussing the NBA's growing issue. We'll be talking about the NFL as training camps begin to open and rookies begin to show up for camp. And we'll have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast. And don't forget to turn on your post notifications on all social media so that you may stay up to date on breaking news and know things before your friends know them. Now, as always, sit back and get ready to learn something. episode 19 of the Justin Town Sports Podcast. As always, I am your host and owner, Justin Jackson, and I am excited to be back with you. Like I said last week, guys, uh, I spoke about this last week, rather. Last week was the first time we've been together in about a month. Oh, I missed you guys a lot. Um, so it was cool getting you guys interaction on some things. I was throwing some more things out on social uh, over the past week, uh, throwing together some of this BS with the NBA and what's happening there and how everything um, is going back and forth in the NBA. And now it's kind of on a freeze. Because uh, the NBA goes into kind of a freeze post-summer league. Um, the GMs are usually all in one place in summer league. So if a big deal doesn't get done during summer league, that's when all the GMs and the execs and scouts and stuff take a collective deep breath. Um, because it's the first time they've been able to relax. And so, you know, you come out of the NBA season if you're a team that if you're a bad team, you're looking pretty much probably from Christmas, definitely the All-Star break, you're already saying, okay, we got to grind through Summer League because you're assembling the rest of your roster for the rest of the year. You're getting together, probably dumping off trade assets, picking up people in order to get extra draft capital. You're looking at your Summer League roster, who you want to pick in the draft, lottery odds, all that stuff. If you're a great team, you're mentally trying to sprint through June and then you as a, as a staff, as a player group, but then your executives are trying to tinker with the roster last minute to give you give yourselves the best chance to win the championship, and you're also trying to look at your summer league roster. So, pretty much once the summer league happens um, and finishes, congratulations to uh, Imani Bates and the Cleveland Cavaliers on winning the summer league championships, uh, getting the second ever summer league rings. Um, so, kudos to those guys. Um, which, by the way, I think it's dope that they do summer league rings. Um, a lot of these guys won't win NBA championships. Um, a lot of them won't play in the NBA ever. Um, so it's pretty cool that these guys can always say, I was the NBA, even if it's summer league, the NBA champion. I have a ring, a championship ring that says NBA on it. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool by the NBA to do that. Um, but congratulations to the Cavs again for winning summer league. But now the entire league kind of takes a collective break. Because, again, all the top executives, all the GMs, most of the scouts, a lot of the coaching staffs, um, and a lot of the star players descend on Vegas at least for the first few days of summer. That first weekend or so, everybody's there. 
um, star-wise because that's when you get a Victor Wimbyama is going to play. Brandon Miller is going to play. Jabari Smith Jr. is going to play. Like These guys with some star power and these young rookies. Scoot Henderson is going to play. They're going to play those first couple of games in the first weekend. If they play well, they're shutting it down, and they're not going to play going into pool, basically pool, further into pool play and then into the playoffs. Um, they're not going to play in that. They're just not going to. So you that's when it kind of thins out. Stars leave. Um, scouts begin to move on to the rest of their summer. Um, even, even executives, for the most part, start to move on. Coaches and staffs may stick around. But uh, people really start to take a collective, like I said, deep breath, a big hoosah, um, in order to relax after the summer league. So that leaves the NBA, however, with a two-fold problem. And I spoke about it on Twitter when I did a massive mock trade for the four of them. I did two over the past week. And the two issues are Portland Trailblazers guard Damian Lillard, Philadelphia 76ers guard James Harden. Why are they issues? Well, for one, both of them have put in either a de facto trade request or a effective or a literal trade request um, between the two of them. So James Harden opted into his $36.9 million player option for the upcoming season with a de facto trade request of I'm doing this in order to get traded. So when I get to my next team, I'll extend off this option. Um, and then Damian Lillard, finally, after years of people telling him to get out, finally uh, put in a trade request officially to the Portland Trailblazers organization. That's not an issue in the grand scheme of life. Um, being traded on the last year of your deal is pretty common for superstars. So Anthony Davis comes to mind. Um, Kawhi Leonard comes to mind. Um, you know, that those are two guys that were traded as stars to their next destination with the last year of their deal. Now, it worked out for Anthony Davis and Lakers. They netted a title, and Anthony Davis resigned. It worked out for Toronto Raptors and Kawhi Leonard. They netted a title, and then Kawhi Leonard goes to the Clippers. Um... But I'm just looking at it from a perspective of trade requests are not uncommon by stars. It's perfectly normal. Um, it's, it's the business that the NBA has set up. It's a perfectly normal situation. The issue is not the fact that Dame Lillard, um, after years of being a Portland, staying 10 toes down, loyal to the soil, all that stuff he spewed, um, finally decided that, you know, I locked in my last big contract. I kind of want to go in now. Um... And so he decides he wants out. Again, Harden, last year, he's still a player option. Philly, you're not looking to pay me the contract I want. I know if a team trades for me, they're going to know what I want. They're going to they're gonna know what I want before they make the deal. Once the deal is traded, I'm going to immediately sign some new contract. Again, not abnormal at all. The issue comes in the naming of the place. Now, Anthony Davis did it, right? Cool. But Anthony Davis was an expiring contract, Right? He was also going to the Lakers that had LeBron and a bunch of young pieces. The trade was a match made in basketball heaven. You had a bunch of young guys on the Lakers looking for an opportunity to spread their wings and fly, which wasn't going to have a chance to as long as LeBron was there. Plus, he didn't have the time for them to because he was trying to win a championship right then. And then you had a team in New Orleans that was going to have a high pick. It ended up being the number one pick. If the Lakers get the number one pick and Davis is a Laker anyway... They knew they had a superstar coming out in the draft in Zion Williamson. They, no one knew how good John Morant was going to be, but you knew you had a superstar coming out in the draft in Zion Williamson. Um, 
Scouts are really high on John Morant. Again, no one saw this coming, but Scouts are really high on John Morant. There was potential. There was off, you know, there's rumors that oh, the Pelicans were trying to move four and additional assets to come up to two and have Zion and uh, John Morant. And it's like okay, whatever. But anyway, you knew that was coming, right? It was a match made in basketball heaven. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, James Harden is asking the same thing. He's asking him on the last year of my deal, trade me, right? Rumor has it, and it hasn't been denied, he wants to go to the Clippers. Trade me to the Clippers. You know, you can have a bunch of picks, some pick swaps, a couple young guys, make the money work, send me to the Clippers. Problem is, the Clippers are jammed up against the cap. Severely jammed up against the cap. They're wondering how you know that? Because Russell Westbrook signed for $3 million a year. That's how jammed up against the cap they are. Paul George is a max player. Kawhi Leonard's a max player. They're playing uh, Marcus Morris a decent chunk of change. Ivica Zubac is not cheap. Luke Kennard's got a bag. Like They have a lot of guys along that roster that's making a pretty penny. Um, and then you go to Dame's situation. He wants to go to Miami. Same thing. They're jammed against the cap. So either you're going to financially strap Miami down to where they have to just peel and peel and peel in terms of assets, strip pretty much everything all the way down just to have a half-decent shot at getting Dame, or you're expecting Damian Lillard um, to go to Miami for basically nothing, which doesn't feel likely in the slightest. Because of that, I decided that I am going to do a mock trade. And this trade was designed in order to pretty much show how unlikely um, this match would be. Right? And so, it ended up being a 1, 2, uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9... 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-player trade. Obviously, the 15-player trade is highly unlikely. That would be that would easily break the most players traded in a single trade. Easily. Not even close. But in order to begin to get decent acquisitions for the Portland Trailblazers, along with getting something back for Philly where they can try to still compete without Harden, plus working with these teams' cap in mind. So for Miami and Philly, or for Miami and Clippers, in theory, they're trying to fit the person in. They don't really have a long-term plan. Get them on, get them in, get them on the cap table. We can figure it out from there. If you're Portland, I think you're trying to free up money. So you don't want to take back multi. You don't want Tyler Hero, $27 million a year, you'd have to redirect Tyler Hero basically overnight. Kyle Lowry is an asset they could pick up, but you're already trying to train young guards. Kyle Lowry probably wants to win at this age of his career. I don't even think he would accept the trade to Portland. I think he'd probably just walk away. Um, and so, with all that stuff being said, you try to get things where it makes sense for Portland to get them, along with, financially, they're not tied down to whoever is a three- or four-year contract. So, and it's posted on all my social medias, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I believe it's on threads. I'm not 1,000% sure, but I think it's on threads as well. Um, but the trade ends up with Miami Heat getting Damian Lillard and Jaden Springer. 
Um, Springer is a young guy from the 76ers. The Trailblazers end up with Marcus Morris on an expiring contract, Robert Covington on an expiring contract, Kayla Martin on two years of very manageable money, Forkin Corkmas on a one year expiring contract, Daniel House Jr. on a one year expiring contract, Josh Richardson on a two year very manageable deal, and Nikola Jovich, a young guy who they can build around. Also, would include multiple first round picks, pick swaps, and a package of second round picks. The Los Angeles Clippers, you end up with James Harden. And then the Philadelphia 76ers, in an attempt to try and keep winning basketball games, um, they would pick up Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, KJ Martin, Hayward Highsmith, and Brandon Boston Jr. Um, and a bevy of second round picks. Now, again, I said in the post, by no means is this trade perfect. It is not perfect at any in all ways. Most people say, oh, why would Miami trade six people just to get Dame and Pat Riley would never do that. Oh, why would the Clippers give up all this young talent just to get James Harden? Da, 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 da. Exactly. That's my point. Either the Portland Trailblazers are going to give Damian Lillard up for basically nothing and set the franchise of Portland back 5 to 10 to 12 years. Now, they have some young good guards. They have Anthony Simons. They kept Matisse Thibault. Of course, they drafted Scoot Henderson. They gave Jeremy Grant a big bag. Uh, they probably convert Nurkic into some other things, but that's my issue. The issue does not lie in the fact that the trade can't be done. The issue is lie in the fact of what are you going to give Portland? Same thing with my with Philadelphia and the 76ers. Philadelphia and um, the Clippers, rather. What are you going to give Philly to make it worth James Harden? I gave Philly more than anybody else given Philly, and according to the ESPN projection, they were still like minus like 16 wins. Like that's a situation where they are losing such talent to play. Portland goes down, I think, 10 wins, losing Dane, but. You know, James Harden is worth 16 wins, um, apparently, to the Philadelphia 76ers. That's hard to replace. That's a situation where if you are going to have a 16-win drop-off projection-wise, and all these teams have analysis departments and departments that are designed to find out what's the value of a 2030 first-round pick from Phoenix, you know, like all these teams have these departments. If you're going to lose 16 wins from one player, do you then trade Joel Embiid? Do you just, okay, Embiid goes to the highest bidder. Doesn't matter if it's the same conference. Doesn't matter if it's the same division. Embiid to the highest bidder. Because um, we're going to, I mean, there's not going to be an asset you get back. Like I say, unless he goes to New York. Now, and I did the draft for New York. A lot less was being moved because you had certain people getting shipped in the trade that kind of made the money and the value work out. So you didn't have to go so far uh, with so many pieces being moved because in the trade that centers around Philly oh wait no that's another version of that trade um I did a version and multiple people fought back saying uh, with Portland Miami Philly and Clippers uh, rather multiple people fought back saying oh it's not enough for Portland and why Portland take this deal and you gotta have to give them more than just young guys nobody really likes because I had them getting Brandon Boston Hayward Highsmith, KJ Martin, Daniel House, Robert Covington, Duncan Robinson, in an attempt to not take back a whole bunch of money. Cork Miles and Dame goes to Miami. Philly gets Hero and Powell. Clippers get Harden. Um, people fought back on that, so when I expanded it, people thought it was too much. Like, 
there's no sweet spot for this deal uh, to be made in terms of people getting the value that they believe uh, deserves to go to Portland and not giving them too much from the other teams because that's just the nature of um, trying to maneuver with the salary cap, trying to move and get adequate value for the teams losing the superstars, which has never happened in NBA history. Whoever gets a superstar winning the trade, it doesn't particularly matter. Nobody knows what the signing trade deal was for the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron. No one knows what the deal was for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like these people just don't, you know, you just don't. They don't matter if you're not the superstar in the trade. So the NBA has a problem, and their problem is stars not only requesting trades, but they're requesting trades of very specific teams hamstringing their own organizations, hamstringing their current GMs, and they're even attempting to getting back equal value or some semblance of equal value or having a bidding war. Like, if you have superstar like Dame's agent, who really was a good one, Arnie Goodwin, Arnie Goodwin, one of the two, um, Archie Goodwin, Aaron Goodwin, sorry. Um, if you have a guy like Aaron Goodwin going out and saying, Dame's not going to come to camp. If you trade for him and it's not the Miami Heat, Dame's just not going to go. Well, why as a team... Would I even offer Portland something if I know without a shadow of a doubt I'm going to be trading for an angry superstar? I'm going to be trading for a guy who's coming in upset, who's coming in not ready, who's coming in not wanting to be there. That is an absolute waste of time if I am um, any other organization because if a dame's going to come in upset, disgruntled, frustrated, however you want to put it, or just not come at all, I send assets out for a person who doesn't want to be there. And how long is it? Six to eight months before he's asking God in my city, and I'm gonna get less back than what I traded for him. Um, so organizations have to make that choice. Dame doesn't have a no trade clause. When Bradley Bill got moved to Phoenix, Bradley Bill had a no trade clause, so he controlled his own destiny. But you had an opportunity to go to him as an organization if you were one like. If you want to trade for him and go to him and say, hey, Bradley, this is what we see for you. This is how we see us winning. This is what we see happening over the next few years. Boom, 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 boom. This is what the projected trade would be. This is who your teammates would be. This is how we felt the roster. You had the opportunity to meet with him and go step by step before he waived his no trade laws for you. Damian Little doesn't have that. So he's using the media to strong arm people away from even attempting to offer because they think, Oh man, Dame's not gonna come. Dame's not gonna show up if we offer. What's the point of even offering? Dame's not coming. Um, and that is ridiculous. But that's a problem. He has four years left on his contract. Three years plus a team option. If he doesn't show up, he either he gets fined. He's on the contract, and his contract tolls. He can't go to free agency anytime soon. If the NBA owners, and I'm always for the players, but this is insane. I think owners and GMs need to call this bluff. Either Portland keeps them, which Portland GM has already said this could take months uh, to get done. Either Portland keeps them, or they trade them to the highest bidder. Whoever the highest bidder, however the highest bidder may be. If it's Miami, then by all means, it's Miami. But if it's New Orleans, if it's New York, if it's um, trying to get some other team that might make the deal, the Clippers, like if it's another organization that gives the highest bid, I say make the deal and dare Dame not to show up and risk losing $200 million. Like, that, that's the bet I would make against Dame. I would call his bluff here. 
Um, Harden is, like I said, a little bit different situation. He's ha- potentially hamstringing Freelay from getting value back by saying he wants to be a Clipper or by having it come out that he wants to be a Clipper. But it's a little bit of a different situation than Damian Lillard, considering Harden has about eight months left, or these are about 12 months left, 11 months left in Philly. Um, Dame has at least uh, three years uh, left in Portland um, under contract. So, if I'm Portland, like I said, I fight my best to get equal value for him, um, and I don't let him strong arm us into sending him to Miami for scraps and pieces. Um, so that will be my approach to the Dame Lillard situation. And from the rest of the NBA, I call this bluff too by offering packages, making a trade, and daring him not to show up, pretty much. But that is all uh, I have for the NBA. Uh, up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to jump to the NFL, where there is a new ownership group in the NFL. Um, Josh Harris, uh, his group, led by Josh Harris, who owns the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils, along with Magic Johnson, of course, NBA Hall of Famer, Laker legend, world-class entrepreneur and businessman, um, along with the rest of their group, has officially bought the Washington Commanders or officially been approved to buy the Washington Commanders um, from much maligned uh, owner Dan Schneider. Um, Dan Schneider bought the team in 1999, uh, eight years after they won the Super Bowl, second after they won the Super Bowl with Doug Williams. He bought the team in um, 1999. He's owned the team since 24 years. Um, he bought the team for $800 million. The Harris Johnson, I'm going to call it the Harris Johnson group, the Harris Magic group, um, bought the team for $6.05 billion. Um, so about a 700% uh, increase. Um, so pretty, pretty solid uh, financial gain, if I do say so myself. Um, we will see that like Michael Jordan bought the Hornets for a couple hundred million and sold it for over $2 billion. Uh, dollars. So... Again, congratulations um, to the Harris Johnson group. Matt Johnson's been very emotional about what this means for him. He's owned the Sparks. He's been involved in Los Angeles Dodgers um, franchise as well. But he said Josh Harris called him to make him a one of the major partners in the Commanders. Um, or at least as they're known now, the Commanders. Magic made it no secret that they're going to be looking into a potential rebrand of the Washington team. Um, fan favorite was not the Commanders. It's grown on me. I mean, the Washington football team grew on me after a while. Um, but the Washington Commanders kind of started to grow on me. But they're looking at another complete rebrand, according to Magic. Uh, they, they, they may get rebranded before next season starts. Now, that's a tight window. So... Um, I think they'd probably rebrand for the 2024 
season. Because uh, again, getting it in for 2023 is a very tight window. Now, they've also been planning this purchase for months. So could they have already been discussing a rebrand and kind of have colors, logos, names, whatever in place? Very possible. Um, could there have been a deal with the NFL? Like if we buy the team, what's the deadline to rechange everything? You know, what if you know what if they want to change their logo this season? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they keep the W. I don't know, but they're definitely saying that they want to go with a rebranding, which I figured new owner. Um, it's not a traditional name. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. It's not the Washington Redskins, um, where you're tied to something. Because even though the ownership groups and some of these teams have changed, they've kept the name because the name's iconic. Well, the Redskins' horrific name is gone. So, so when the, no one is married to the Washington Football Team or the Commanders, no one's married to either one. Um, I think this is huge for the NFL. One, you get Dan Snyder out. Dan Snyder on his way out is going out with a sexual harassment case along with a workplace violation he withheld millions of dollars from other teams in the league as far as the revenue sharing pot like horrible owner they only went to six playoffs in 24 years two total wins no championship game appearance no um no Super Bowl appearance obviously 11 different head coaches countless starting quarterbacks um Jay Gruden who Okay, Jay Gruden is a is an interesting source. The reason being is Jay Gruden was fired by Dan Snyder. Also, Jay Gruden, Dan Snyder got his father fired because the email between John Gruden and Jay Gruden is the reason why John Gruden is not still the head coach of Vegas. Um, so he's an interesting source, but he came out and said, "Oh, Dan Snyder would just pick a player, either want a guy in free agency or draft a player in the draft." And just be like, I'm the owner, I'm going to draft him. And he's like, you didn't put any of the work in all these months to even begin to make this decision. He likes to play, he drafts him. Now, Jay Gruden was the head coach when the draft happened, when RG3 went to and Kirk Cousins went in the fourth round. And everybody went, why did you draft a quarterback? In the same draft, you supposedly draft your franchise quarterback. Especially with the fourth round pick. Now, if you draft a seventh round pick quarterback, okay. Especially a guy that's like Lamar, like, I mean, not, not Lamar, that's like um, RG3, like the Ravens did with Lamar. Like, they have Tyler Huntley, and they have um, another quarterback. I can't think of his name right now, but they have two lesser versions of Lamar as backups. Kirk Cousins could not be more opposite of RG3. The only thing they share together is their faith. That's about it. Um, they don't play the same. They don't look the same. They don't act the same. They don't talk the same. They don't walk the same. Like, it felt like Dan Snyder's pick was RG3. And Jay Gruden, having no faith in RG3, picked Kirk Cousins. Now, so that's some of the things. And I won't dive off into that. That gets disgusting quarterback. I won't dive off into that because even Kirk Cousins was like, why are you like this? I don't want to go here. I'm not going to play because RG3 is here. Um, but Dan Snyder still on the team. So huge day for the NFL. Huge day, like I said, for the Josh Harris, Magic Johnson group, um, you know, Magic spoke about it. He said when Harris called him about it, he was like, why are you doing this? And he was like, because I want to win. And then he was like, okay, I'm in. Um, because Magic said he doesn't buy teams just to have a team. Um, you know, oh, I own the Dodgers. I own the Commanders, whatever. Just to say he does it at a dinner party with his friends. Like, he wants to win championships. Um, and so when he heard that Josh Harris was committed to doing that, he went in with the group. Um, I wonder... 
I do wonder one thing about this though before I move on from it. Um, oh, oh, backing up to Dan Snyder real quick. He has to pay sixty million dollars to the NFL as a result for the fines he's getting from the Mary Joe um, White, I think it's her last name, um, investigation, along with other things he owes and fines and back whatever to the NFL. He has to pay that on the way out. So Josh Harris money goes into his account, and then sixty million dollars automatically draws straight to um, the NFL. But what I was about to say was, um, I wonder how much control Magic has in the Commanders. Here's why I say this. His emotional, I mean, it's just every time he talks about it, he was emotional on Twitter. He was on GMA. He was emotional. He was at the, he was at the official press thing after it was approved. He was emotional. And it was more emotional than somebody saying, it's full circle. I'm a black owner. I'm showing other black people they can do this. I'm setting the standard, so on and so forth. It felt like literally he's going to own the commanders. And it's sounded like Josh Harris bought it. Josh Harris has the 50 something percent or the 60 something percent, whatever. Josh Harris has it, right? But Josh Harris also has the 76ers. And he also has the New Jersey Devils, along with its other businesses. I wonder how much day-to-day Magic Johnson's in because Magic announced the rebrand, not Josh Harris. Magic's been giving out interviews, not Josh Harris. So I wonder how much of the day-to-day, um, day-to-day operations Magic is going to be involved in, or the overview of the franchise and the shape and the structure and the scope and the alteration. And the rebuilding of and the building of a new stadium and all the other things that the Commanders franchise desperately needs. I wonder how much in that will Magic Johnson have, due to the fact of he's been so openly emotional, openly communicative, and when we get news about the Commanders, it's from Magic. Um, and so I'm just wondering how big is he going to be in the everyday um, operations of the team? Considering that again, we're getting a lot of news from him, we're seeing the emotional reaction from him. Um, now obviously he's the biggest sports star than Josh Harris so that could be just media coverage but from everything I'm seeing about it I'm getting my info from Magic um, so that is definitely something to keep our eye on there but congratulations to the House Johnson to the Harris Johnson group on purchasing the Commanders alright the NFL's training camp window is open uh, pretty much teams are open now you see guys filling in their rosters uh, like the Giants picked up Cole Beasley uh, today. They also signed Melvin Gordon today. Um, so they are working on filling out their rosters. But two teams everyone's keeping their eye on, and they're from the same division, is the Patriots and the Jets for opposite reasons. Uh, the Jets, of course, went Green Bay East. They got Aaron Rodgers and his friends. They got Randall Cobb. They got Alan Lazard. But they got certain talent, too, like a Gary Wilson, like a Sars Gardner. They brought back Quinny Williams. Um, they have an issue with Mekhi Becton, um, but they're going to be the Hard Knocks team. So everyone's interested in their training camp because as you watch their training camp, HB is going to be there filming their training camp. So you're going to get to see their training camp as it moves. Um, now they're trying, the Jets are being weird. They're trying to fight back on some of the Hard Knocks traditions. They're trying to get rid of the scenes where a player gets cut. And it's like, it's literally called... At first, it was called NFL Training Camp Hard Knocks or School of Hard Knocks or something like that. It was basically like 
the purpose of the show is to show hard practices, hard hits, hard introductions, hard release moments. Like it's about how hard it is to literally make a roster in the NFL. The biggest rated parts are the parts where people get cut. I don't understand. I mean, I get it. It's not the prettiest thing to look at if you if you don't like awkward or sensitive. Like, it sucks to see a guy who worked his whole life, who's been playing football since he was five, who got who became a sixth round pick or got an undrafted free agency contract. He makes a little noise in the preseason, so the cameras start to follow him. And then when it came down to the cut to fifty three, he's got to turn in his iPad and clean out his locker. Like, that does suck to see, right? Like, it's not fun to watch but that's what the show is about um so i don't get the jazz trying to do that i think they if they i think that they think if they can get hbo or the now max if they can get max in the nfl to agree to not let them show that they can cut other stuff out too because aaron's gonna say they probably shouldn't say we've never seen robert Sala in front of a camera nathaniel hackett now at his awful year in denver he's now gonna be in the forefront this mix and match, like, what if they look awful in the preseason, and then Hard Knocks comes, and they look awful in Hard Knocks, and then maybe they cut a couple of guys kind of harshly in Hard Knocks, they end up making plays for the teams, like, this is a situation where you're trying to limit as much of the bad press as possible, I think is what they're trying to do, and it's potentially setting them up to look worse, because now you're having a situation where people are looking forward to certain moments, and you're trying to take that away from them. I watch Preseason, I watch training camp hard knocks for the releases, for the cuts. Who gets cut? How late did they make it? Oh, I forgot he got released. Trades, how how people coach. I'm a coach. So I want to know how other people coach because I want to know, okay, in the NFL, maybe there's something they do schematically on the board. I can take get that to my kids. Uh, I take it to my players. I obviously take it from the NFL level to the high school level, but Taking to give that to my kids, different strategies, different things they adjust to, how they adjust to it, you know, stuff like that. Like, that's why people watch the preseason hard knocks for the cuts, the fights, the training camps, the stories, the cool little, the cool rookies, who gets practice squad, who gets picked up, waiting on that phone. That's why hard knocks exists. In season hard knocks, you don't really have releases. You have trades, maybe. But in season hard knocks, you get practice, development, strength. Pain, play, practice, development, strength, pain, play, practice, development, strength, on repeat. Like I said, unless there's a trade or something, or there's some big release, like there's rarely a big release. But if there's a big release, it's not an inhumane moment. It's probably people you knew he got released. And that's another thing, too. In season hard knocks happens that they don't even start showing it till like we see it in week nine and they film it in week five. Because they want to give a big enough gap where the film doesn't matter and the inside information is like, none of that matters. They And then if somebody got released, you know, like, Carson Wentz got benched. So when you see Carson Wentz get benched, it's not a, <gasps> Carson Wentz got benched. In the preseason hard knocks, you may not have never heard of that guy. And it's happening, like, they'll, like, let's say the first game is August 14th. Uh, I mean, I should say, right, they'll play on August 14th. You'll see that hard knocks, like, four days later. So if a guy got released that Monday and it didn't just didn't trigger to your brain like you knew the name or you knew the guy like I'll just cut some receiver, you're gonna see that receiver get cut four days later. You know what I'm saying? So that's something where the where the Jets are trying to fight away from that, and I just disagree with the premise of we're gonna edit out one of the most popular moments of the show. That just feels bad to me. And then of course, all eyes are on the Patriots as well as they get Bill O'Brien and 
Uh, Bill Belichick now is on the Roman hot seat. He's 19 wins away from being the all-time winningest coach. I believe Robert Kraft will give him two seasons to do it. This year and next. Average nine and a half wins. You break the record with 18 next year. Losing the first time in the playoffs. Retire. Retires all-time winningest coach. I don't think it's ever going to be broken. Um, and so I just think, because Mahomes not going to have Andy Reid his whole career. Eventually Mahomes is going to have a different coach. Andy Reid's not coaching. I mean, Mahomes only five years in. And Dereese not coaching 15 more seasons. And I thought the heir apparent was the enemy. Um, but obviously not. So um, I don't know what they're going to do. But I don't think that record's ever going to be broken. I think Bob Kraft gets him two seasons. Belichick to break the record. He needs nine and a half wins a year for the next two years. And he's the all-time winningest coach ever. And I think that's what he's going for. And then I think he might walk away at that point. He's the greatest coach of all time. Most two bowls and most wins. What else do you want? Um, people looking at Mac Jones development, year three. I want people to treat this year how people treated Trevor Lawrence rookie year. Myself included. I did Trevor Lawrence rookie year the exact same way. Didn't exist. The Urban Meyer mess was such a tragedy as far as coaching this disaster and disorganization and Tim Tebow as a tight end, like Gerber Meyer getting caught in clubs instead of flying back on the plane, caught in his local bar, filling up a woman. Like it was a situ- it was just a disaster of a situation. He was coaching a league he admitted before he doesn't even watch. He was openly about I don't watch the NFL. And now you're coaching the number one overall pick, which pretty much everybody said he only took the job because Trevor Lawrence was the number one overall pick. Um well, last year, Matt Patricia was the offensive coordinator. Matt Patricia grew up on the defensive side of the ball of the NFL, was a defensive head coach as a Lion, and then he became the play, offensive play caller for Mac Jones. Interesting. And the quarterback coach was Joe Judge, who was a special teams coordinator, a bad head coach of the Giants, made multiple bonehead decisions, especially offensively, and then he became the quarterback coach. So two of Belichick's cronies end up being the voices of comfort and reason in Mac Jones's life. And neither one of them could do offense. Interesting. So now that that's out of the building, Patricia's out of the building entirely. Uh, Joe Judge his only title is assistant head coach. That might as well be like, you ever seen The Office? How uh, Dwight Schrute always has to say assistant regional manager. And uh, Michael Scott always has to say assistant to the regional manager. It's like the Belichick did it reverse. It's like he gave him the title of assistant head coach, but he might as well be assistant to the head coach. Like he's going to be doing Belichick's runs and errands. That's high vision. He has no position title. He's not on offense. He's not on defense. It just says assistant head coach. So I guess in the event Belichick gets sick and can't do a media thing, Joe Judge does it. Other than that, he just waits on whatever Bill Belichick needs him to do. Um, because again, he has no other title but assistant head coach. So that would be that's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, and then a couple of quick hitters. Justin Fields says he's going to throw four thousand yards this year. I think he has to win seven games to keep his job. Why seven? That puts you out of the range of Drake May and Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, the number one overall pick. I think Drake May is top five. Depending on what Jaden Daniel does at LSU, he may end up top ten. But I think if it came down to Jaden Daniels or a 6 and 11, 3,800 yard passing Justin Fields, the Bears may go with Justin Fields and just build around him, use those assets to build around him. I think if Justin Fields played well and they just don't win that many games, he survives Drake May. 
if they're two and fifteen, he doesn't survive Caleb Williams. And then Caleb Williams, the number one overall pick, Justin Field gets shipped out to who cares um, at that point probably. Um, and then the Bears start over. Um, and so I think he has to do everything in his power to avoid Caleb Williams. And then lastly, Netflix's quarterback has been picked up for a second season. Season one was amazing. If you haven't seen it, it was spectacular. Um, definitely dope. Uh, Kirk Cousins has the perfect life for Kirk Cousins in terms of his his home life, his family life. Patrick Mahomes' home is spectacular. Um, family's a little crazy, but his home is spectacular. I mean, Marcus Mariota, you got to see the different levels. I mean, Marcus Mariota got released. Um, bench sent. He quit on the team, basically changed teams. Um, so you got to kind of got to see those three different levels. I would love to see a, a rookie on it next year, personally. I don't think that's good for the rookie, having cameras follow him around his rookie year. That's probably a bad idea. Um, but I would love to see, like, a Joe Burrow guy at the top, a guy at the middle, like a Derek Carr changing teams. And then maybe a rookie, maybe an Anthony Richardson, a Desmond Ritter. You know, you just saw Atlanta. You just saw Atlanta. It's probably gonna go back to Atlanta, but like an Anthony Richardson, um, a Bryce Young, um, one of these guys, one of these rookies who has an opportunity to lead a billion-dollar business. Um, definitely see how their perspective is. But up next, we're going to shift to our best for last and talk about what's going down uh, with college football. for last and now we're going to discuss uh, college football as media days have been roaring around the country especially in the power five the Pac-12s had theirs I think that was today um Deion Sanders was not there due to another foot surgery so prayers to him um hopefully he gets uh, through this okay doctor recommended it's about straightening his toes to avoid pain and some something else um the SEC's had theirs Georgia looks for a three-peat. LSU looks to bounce back and get to another title in 2019, which, which would be Brian Kelly's first. Alabama looks to shake back. For the first time, there's no dominant quarterback in a while in the SEC. Um, in terms of, like, Stetson Bennett was at Georgia the past two years, and they won titles. Bryce Young, two of Mac Jones. Uh, Jalen Hurts for Alabama. LSU had Joe Burrow. Florida had Anthony Richardson. Uh, Super South Carolina had Spencer Rattler. Like there's no elite quarterback just staring you in the face. I think Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback in the conference. Um, he's over at LSU. I think that's why they have an opportunity to win the conference because he's standing there. Um, for them, I think LSU has probably the best 11 v. 11 roster in the country. Uh, I just don't think they have the depth right now that they need to be a dominant team. A couple bad injuries, a couple injuries in the wrong spots, and they're in trouble, especially receiver and corner. Um Inside linebacker as well. Um, you got the Pac-12. Like I said, Caleb Williams. Colorado shows up. It's basically the new kids on the block. Even though they've been there, obviously, it's Colorado. They're one of the new kids on the block because they bring in 70 new kids. Um, this is nowhere near the roster that won one or two games last season. 
Um, of course, they're led by Travis Hunter, Shadour Sanders, Deion Sanders, Shiloh Sanders, um, and the rest of that transfer crew. Um, like I said, they're bringing 70-some-odd transfers. That's a completely different-looking team in Boulder, Colorado, than it was last season. Um, USC and UCLA are playing their final seasons in the Pac-12 before they shoot over to the Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma are playing their last seasons in the Big 12 before they shoot over to the SEC. Um, I mean, Brett Venables is on a hot seat in Oklahoma. I think they missed with that hire. I just don't see Brett Venables as a head coach, big-time head coach. Um, Northwestern had their horrible scandal. They're trying to get their life together and get a head coach there. Um, they've named an interim, but Ed O'Shaughnessy reportedly has interest in the job. John Cruden, I think, may actually work there. I don't know if they'll do it just because they're coming off with kind of a scandal and John Gruden left with a scandal. But um, I think he would actually work there at Northwestern. Um, Clemson's looking to bounce back and reclaim the ACC. Florida State may have their best team since Jameis Winston was there. I mean, college football is in a great state. Lane Kiffin calls it a bad spot because of NIL. Look, NIL is going to get fixed. There's senators and stuff with the support of the Power Five conferences trying to make NIL regulation. So NIL is going to get fixed. But I'd rather the kid get the money than the coach or the booster. That's just me. I'd rather the kid get the money than the president or the uh, or the consistent coach or the or the uncle that never gives money to the kid or the parent. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd rather the kid get it directly in his bank account as opposed to going through, you know, the booster pays the uncle who then convinces the kid to go to whatever school to make sure the booster gives the uncle the other half the money and the kid never sees one dime and uncle's riding around in a new Ferrari. Like, I'd rather the kid get the Ferrari deal or, like, you know, or Angel Reese with her plenty of deals, including Zoe Energy. Um, I'd rather those people get the deals as opposed to the seedy uncle or I think at one point a pastor got the Cam Newton, like a pastor got involved in the Cam Newton thing. Um, Marcus Dupree famously had people around him getting offers, like Reggie Bush. Like, this kind of stuff happens for years. So now that we can at least cloak it a little bit in the words of NIL, this stuff's going to get fixed. Um, and so I think that is NIL is great for college sports. The transfer portal is free agency. Literally, who has the highest NIL bid gets the top free agents almost every time. Um, and then kids hoping that they find a chair before the music stops. Um, and I think it's greatly affecting and helping women's sports. Look at LSU's basketball team. I'm LSU, I'm from, from Baton Rouge. I'm an LSU fan. Like I can point to them cause I recognize them every day. Angelis has, oh my gosh, she has endorsements out of the wazoo. Falaje Johnson, Haley Van Lith, Libby Dunn, Libby Dune Dunn, one of the two. Like, these women have all these great NIL deals. Um, I'm just thinking about this in totality. So college football is in a great spot. I think they try to clean up NIL and the collectives a little bit because Deion Sanders doesn't speak bad about NIL. He speaks bad about collectives. So I think that once that gets cleaned up, we are going to uh, see a much better state of college football. But that is all I have for you today. As always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Times Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And as always, this is your host, Justin Jackson.